My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. Over the course of over a decade, with improv comedy and other techniques, Mary Lemmer retrained herself to find the fun, humor, and joy in life, which has helped her reduce anxiety and improve her health and overall life. I hope you say yes and, it's an improv thing, to listening in to this episode, The Joy of Missing Out on Taking Things too seriously. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. It's great to be here. So where am I speaking to you from today? I am currently in Ann Arbor, Michigan. All right, Michigan. Okay, so we're gonna get right into it with a few rapid fire questions to get to know you a little better. So on a Saturday afternoon, we can find you where? Probably outside, like going for a long walk or in the process of lugging all of my finds from the farmer's market back home. Awesome. What gets you up Monday morning? Um, I do this like stretching class. It's called fascia flossing and it's Mm. Monday morning and it's over Zoom. And the woman who teaches them is based in New York City. And it's like such a great calm, but like active in this like movement way to get started. And so I'm always really excited for that Monday morning to start my day. Awesome. That sounds like an amazing start to the week, actually. (laughs) Great. I highly recommend. Yeah. What's one thing people wouldn't know if they followed you online? um, Gosh, a lot (laughs) because I don't post a lot. They probably wouldn't know that I'm currently living pretty nomadically and I kind of sometimes go week by week and really run up to the wire of like, where am I going to sleep in a few days? So I don't talk about that a lot online because mostly I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going to be next. And I've been doing that for quite a while now. And it's adventurous and stressful. And I have so many pictures from different places I've been that I haven't posted online because I'm just living my life instead of posting about it. Very cool. And finally, what brings you the most joy in life and how do you prioritize it? Um, Improv and comedy. And I improvise every day, whether I'm with other people or I'm doing it while I'm going for a walk and just find ways to be present and spontaneous and find the fun in things every day. And I listen and watch a lot of comedy and I just make sure that I do. I need to laugh every day. That's like, I prioritize it because it makes me feel good. And if I haven't, if I'm like having a down day or I'm sad, I try to just remind myself, oh, find something to laugh at. And usually there's something in my day to laugh at. Otherwise, I'll watch a professional comedian make me laugh. (laughs) A friend of mine recently reminded me kind of in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, there's the ACE model. So it's accomplishment connection and enjoyment. 
And so for me, laughter is in that. Enjoy- well, it probably checks all three. No, maybe not accomplishment. It checks connection for me and also enjoyment. And yes. that feeling of laughter is just such a deep, guttural, full, like it's a holistic experience in the truest sense of the word. Yes. Well said. Well said. And I will say, I always feel more accomplished if I do something while smiling versus if I do it in bread. Mm, I like that. Do you have internet fatigue? Are you bored of doom scrolling? Do you wish to live life outside of an online algorithm? Do you wish for better conversations? Do you want to get your creativity back? then my new course, The Jomo Method, is for you. This program aims to be a helping hand to anyone wanting to take a step back and consciously change up their online habits. A year ago, I first opened the doors to a small group of students and have since helped designers, marketers, educators, and executives around the world. People working at Shopify and Adobe People in Australia and Portugal, Brazil and the USA. I've helped them take back control of their digital lives to do their best work and live with more joy. Do you like the sound of that? The Jomo Method is built right out of the insights I've gained over the past 10 years studying the intersection of technology and joy. The truth is people who are happy with technology use it differently. And I want to show you how. Learn more by joining today at christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. That's christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. So you have a background in venture capital and the tech startup landscape of Silicon Valley. That is a very fertile ground for seriousness. <laughs> at, what, <laughs> at what point in your life were you most serious? Oh, probably when I was working in that environment. Yeah, it's very fertile ground for seriousness. Like everyone takes things so seriously. And I know there's been a lot of comedy created to kind of poke at that with the HBO show Silicon Valley. And I mean, Shark Tank, I think is kind of a parody into itself. But yeah, I I mean, everything mattered. You know, everything was like, when you're trying to grow a company so quickly, all the little things seem to be so big. It's almost like if you think about life, right, when you're a kid, you notice everything because you're learning and you're like soaking it in. And then as we get older, we're like, oh, yeah, we've seen that a zillion times before. So we're not phased by it as much because we've experienced spilling milk. We've like experienced like losing a job or someone yelling at us. So those things aren't new. And so if you think about a startup, a startup is like a child company. It's like everything's new. Everything you're experiencing for the first time. You know, kids have a nice childlike way of, oh, my gosh, like I spilled the milk. Maybe they get really upset or whatever, but a very present way. With companies, it's kind of like, oh my God, this could make or break the company. And so it has to matter and everything matters. And I found myself really internalizing that and being very serious about things. And I mean, it was kind of my job to pay attention to these details. And what I found is that it was kind of making me a miserable person. Like everything Mm. would stress me out. I remember my first business I ever started was a gelato business. And we had a physical gelato shop 
actually here in downtown Ann Arbor. And I remember driving by and the person that was supposed to be working wasn't there. And then I went in and saw that the iPad point of sale system was shattered. And I had a breakdown. I had an anxiety panic attack and I just started crying and like, you know, my nose ended up bleeding that day. And it was just like, these things seem to matter so much. But if I bring myself up to this high 50,000 foot level, it's like, it's kind of funny. But it took me getting to that like really low place of seeing like how much taking these things so seriously and making every little thing so important and being so hard on myself with mistakes. It took Mm. getting there for me to realize like I can't do this anymore. And it also took me discovering improv comedy to show me another way to respond to things of, you know, look, something can suck, but you just deal with it and find the joy in it or the humor. And that helped me survive a little bit longer than maybe I would have in Silicon Valley in the tech world. Mm. Because as soon as I started doing comedy, I saw all these things that used to just like stress me out and, you know, make my nervous system go, oh my gosh, fight or flight. And I would just laugh because some of the stuff people say and some of the stuff that people take so seriously is like so ridiculous when you really think about it. It's like, does this really matter? And why are you so upset about a font or something? It's like, why? So I think that you're exactly right. It's a, it's a totally fertile ground for seriousness. And I think being in that fertile ground while also being in the comedy world helped me like find these ways to bring them together in a sense because they need Mm. each other or at least the serious world needs comedy or they're going to like explode from their uh, anxiety and stress. Absolutely. And I think most people listening to this can relate to higher levels of stress than they've ever experienced in their lives. You know, we're all in such an intense pressure cooker right now, which is why I was so excited. And I am so excited to have this conversation with you around the joy of missing out on seriousness. (laughs) I do want to get into what sparked your interest in improv, but I'd love to just go back a couple of steps before we go there to get the lay of the land in terms of your career arc so far. You've done a lot of things because I want people to really understand how improv has transformed your life. So could you walk us through a little bit more of your professional journey? Yeah, I mentioned I started this gelato business when I was a teenager, and that was really the first, I guess, professional pursuit. I I started it inspired by my Italian family and not being able to get gelato in Michigan, probably because it's cold nine months out of the year. (laughs) (laughs) And I also couldn't get a job as a teenager because every place, oh, you need work experience. Well, to get work experience, I needed a job. So it seemed like this chicken or an egg. So I started this business with the help and support of my family. And that was this little entrepreneurial spark and really started my interest in like creating businesses and growing companies. And so when I went to business school, because I guess that's what I thought one does when they want to start companies, like I'll go to business school. I got really interested in the world of technology companies because I was really interested in social impact and sustainability and environmental sustainability in particular. And I thought one way to make a big impact was to build a big company that could make a big impact. And so I started working with clean tech companies and companies that were doing good things for the environment. I worked for an organic apparel company one summer and just really hodgepodging a bunch of experiences together where I could work and make some money and sometimes not, but also learn a ton and build my entrepreneurial tool set. And along the way, I got privy to, I guess, the world of venture capital 
Uh, a dear friend of my dad's is a venture capitalist and he was like, Mary, you're an entrepreneur. You have this gelato business and you're going to University of Michigan. Like here's this entrepreneur and venture capital conference in Michigan. Check it out. And so I was like a senior in high school, like incoming freshman to college. And I show up at this venture capital conference, standing out like a sore thumb because I was 17 years old. I looked like I was 12. I was one of maybe four women there. And I was wearing like a pink dress and a sea of black and gray suits. So people were kind of like, who are you? Like, whose daughter are you? Like, why are you here? They couldn't find you a babysitter. I'm like, no, I'm an entrepreneur. I have a business and it's a gelato business. And they're kind of like, oh, that's cute. And, uh, you know, they're building rocket ships and lasers. And I'm like, I sell ice cream. But I was like so curious about this world. And it really exposed me to just the ability to like scale companies and make them really big and make them really impactful. And I met a lot of great people there and mentors. And so I ended up meeting people that like led to one job to another And I got a job offer from a venture capital firm my senior year of college and was pretty sure I was going to say no to it because I was pretty convinced that I would just build my own companies and I didn't really want to be an investor in companies. I wanted to build the companies. And it took some reflecting to realize that it would be like a really great learning opportunity to be on that side of the table. And also uh, the uniqueness of this firm was they did really early stage companies and they really got involved with helping the companies and supporting them. So I would have gotten some operating and in the trenches experience. So I said, yes, and like we like to say it improv and joined this firm. And for three years, I, gosh, I would do research on companies. I met with a ton of companies, like thousands and thousands of companies that were trying to raise money from us. I you know, went to board meetings. I would jump into companies to help them with special projects related to product and marketing and sales and business development, like so many different types of companies and types of leaders. And during that time, I also was building this gelato business and opened a new location. And that was part of my like, hey, I'll join the venture capital fund, but I still want to keep doing my gelato business. And they were fine with that. And so I lived like a very what I would call high octane life. I would get up at six in the morning and go teach a fitness class because the entrepreneurial like scrappiness in me is like, oh, if I am a fitness instructor, I can get a free gym membership and like save some money. So that was like the way I was thinking. And so I would do that. And then I'd go to the venture capital firm from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then I would go to the gelato business until about midnight. And I did that like on repeat for many weeks. And then I clearly hit a wall because that's very unsustainable. And I basically wrote a list of all the things I was doing at the gelato business, handed that to one of our top employees and was like, I'm going to Mexico. I'm not bringing my phone. I'm not bringing my computer. I'm taking some real time off. And in hindsight, that was like a really big move, but I really needed to do something kind of extreme to get myself out of that pattern. And Mm. when I came back to the reality, I learned to like let some things go and delegate. And I also learned that I needed to do some things for myself. And that's when I signed up for my first improv class. And so from Mm. there, 
just to kind of finish the career story and some tie a knot around this is that from there I ended up kind of living these parallel lives of I was training as an improv comedian and I was working in the entrepreneurial tech venture capital world. I ended up joining one of the startups we had invested in very early and it grew very quickly. I helped build the nationwide team. We scaled to be quite large and in the past year the company has now filed to go they they did go public and so it was like just crazy roller coaster. And then I was in, that brought me to Silicon Valley where I was on the operating side and for many years just helped startups grow. They would raise money and I'd say, okay, let's figure out how to grow and spend this money wisely. And just kind of was like a startup advisor, operator. I did some more venture capital and hit this point where I decided that I wanted to just help these companies with improv. So along the way, I would do these improv for entrepreneurs trainings because as a venture capitalist, I saw so many entrepreneurs struggling to tell their stories and be in the moment and be adaptable. And I also saw that improv was helping me be more adaptable and tell better stories and be in the moment. And so I built this curriculum and and would help entrepreneurs with these workshops. And I just kind of kept doing that as this like side hobby way to build community and do something I love and help people. And people kept wanting it more and more. It was making an impact. And so over time, it just like that became the thing that I was good at, people would pay me for, I really enjoyed doing, and the world needs. So it was kind of that sweet spot that I would have never expected from just kind of my hodgepodge of careers and things I've done. So was it an invitation? Did someone invite you to improv one time? How did that happen? What sparked (laughs) your interest in improv? I think I invited myself. I'd always been interested in like acting and performing like as a teenager, like junior high teenager. I'm not sure why, except I do remember thinking that if I was famous, boys would like me. And that, (laughs) you know, that was my adolescent brain. Like that was my logic. Oh boy, the the wisdom of youth. But I, I really liked plain pretend. I liked telling stories. I liked creativity. And so I was always drawn to that. And I opened this like catalog of classes in Ann Arbor at the time, which was where I was living. And there was an improv class. And I was like, this sounds fun. And literally the first class, I have never felt so free and relaxed. Like I could physically feel all the tension in my body leave because my kind of job as an entrepreneur and a venture capitalist was like strategizing, right? What's the best way to share this email? What's the best time of day to send this email? Like which word choices should I use? And like always really in my head and thinking about things in an improv, you don't do that. You just be, it doesn't matter what time you send the email or what you say, you just do it. And then you're in the moment and it's like, nothing you say is wrong. Everything's right. Everything's a gift. Like the principles of improv are really conducive to that. And so I mean, I was hooked after that first class. I was like, this feels great. You know, it felt like getting a massage. And so I was just like, I'm going to keep doing it. And, you know, I'd go to Chicago to train at the Second City on the weekends and got more involved in Second City and, you know, eventually moved, you know, lived in New York and Chicago and and did more improv. But that was the initial spark was like, I want to do something fun. I've always been interested in kind of creativity and performing. And here's this improv class. So why not try it? I love it. It sounds like it really has supported both your personal well-being and your professional success in that it sounds like it's a sustaining force in your life. Like it's a well you can come back to, but it's also a way of calling yourself into a state of presence, like in a room 
what are all the different ways that you would say people could use improv to or can use improv to sort of move their professional and also their personal lives in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, so many ways. I think there's some like little exercises that we do in improv that even if I'm not doing the exercise itself, I come back to. So one of them is called first word, last word, where two people have a conversation using the last word as their first word. So we can do it right now and it will be it will demonstrate itself. Let's do it. So I'll let you start. You can say the first conversation line. How are you doing today? Today, I am doing great because I spent some time outside. Outside is the best. Best friends are so great to have, especially in challenging times or when celebrating. Celebrating the sun every morning is a gift. Yes. Okay. So scene, right? (laughs) (laughs) So what did you notice when doing that? My full attention was on what I was doing, was on the words I was choosing. I had to be completely focused. Yes, right? So, so often when we're having a conversation, we're actually just waiting for our chance to talk, not actually listening. And so this exercise forces us to listen thoroughly to what someone is saying and not just wait for them to stop. And we do this as improvisers because we're creating sketches from scratch, right? We're creating material from scratch. And so we have to listen to everything because there's details in that that can help us move the scene forward. And really life's one big improvisation, right? We never really know what's going to happen or what's going on. We're, we're just picking up on these cues. So that really focuses on listening. The other thing it does is, you know, we both ended our sentences with words conducive to starting a new sentence. Like if I would have ended a word with us, like it's really hard to start a sentence with us, right? So that conscientiousness of how am I setting up this other person for success? Mm. And so these two things... I come back to in my personal and professional life of if I find myself not listening or if I'm just like wanting to put some power behind my listening and engagement and connection with the group, I remind myself this exercise and sometimes even listen for that last word of like, I can't even think about what I'm going to say next until I hear that person stop talking. And it's really hard to do in real life. It really is a practice. So it's taken a lot of practicing this activity for me to be fully present and do that outside of just improv. And then the piece around supporting one another, right, is make your partner look good, right? Sometimes there's this temptation of like, oh, competing and like competing with my colleagues. And if I look good, they can't look good. Or if they look good, I can't look good. And that's a story we tell ourselves, but it's not true. It's like actually when people on the team are doing great, it kind of lifts all boats, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. And this is especially true in startups and fast growing companies is there's not a lot of room for competition. (laughs) Like it's kind of a waste of energy because it doesn't move the company forward. In many ways, it's like throwing pebbles at the company as it's trying to get up the hill. So that's something I would recommend anyone practice in order to improve their personal relationships and professional relationships. I like that. That dovetails perfectly into one of the questions I had, which was sort of a first step for people if they wanted to move out of a state of seriousness and into the joy of not taking themselves so seriously. Do you have another sort of practice that people could try out? Yeah. I mean, this is where great comedy can come from great tragedy, right? It's just a matter of how you write it. And so 
another kind of concept we practice in improv is new choice, right? And so we'll do improv scenes where the director will kind of clap their hands and be like, make a new choice, right? So if someone is in the scene, they're like, honey, I don't want pork again for dinner. And, and the director's like, new choice, right? It's like, honey, I don't want chicken again for dinner. And the director will keep doing this until there's like a funny choice, right? And like, mm. I don't want to eat leftover spaghetti from your dad's birthday seven months ago, right? And get like specific <laughs> or something, right? And so yeah. it's this whole concept of if it feels weird, do it. Like we want to find the fun, find the silly in these improv scenes and heighten it to a comedic level because life is funny, right? When people go into improv scenes and they're trying to be funny, it's usually awkward and not funny. But if you just react honestly and kind of remove that barrier that many of us had in our <laughs> mouths, I guess, where it's like, we don't actually say the thing that we think or feel. We're like suppressing that and like trying to, you know, manage like, oh, I don't want to upset anyone or, but that kind of honest, direct response is usually where there's humor and also mm. kind of moves us faster and further along in a scene. Like watching an improv scene where two people passive aggressively communicate with each other is kind of boring, right? But there's no action, like we want action. And so I share all this as context because when we make these weird choices in improv scenes where we do the inappropriate response, right? If you come to me in an improv scene and you're like, I lost my job today. And I'm like, that's great. Oh my gosh. Now we can spend all this time together, mom. We can make cookies at home and we can go for long walks, right? That's not expected. When someone loses their job, we expect someone to be sad, right? So when we make those weird choices, it's funny. And mm. we can do this in our lives. It's a very powerful tool in our lives because we get to choose how we respond to things, right? And sometimes at the beginning of my day, this might be a little much for some people. This is what I do sometimes. I will say, okay, today I'm going to respond with trust. No matter what happens, mm. like I'm going to respond with trust. And so I had happened to be visiting Chicago when I chose this intention of trust. That's my character choice, right? I was taking my dog to the beach and there's someone like kind of sitting near me and I start chatting with this gentleman and, and just kind of trusting he's a normal person. He's not gonna, you know, say or do anything that would be offensive and just trusting. And he's like, I gotta go, you know, nice to chat with you. And he reaches out to shake my hand and I just shake his, I didn't even think of it, right? I just shake his hand. Well, that was the first hand I shook since the pandemic. And I later was kind of like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that so much? Like he could have had germs, he could have had COVID. Like I was like, because I was this trusting character. I was just like, I was going forward my day of trusting that people are decent human beings and that, you know, things are gonna work out. I was able to step away from that and kind of go back into my brain of like, oh my God, he could have had a germ on his hand and, and just be like, you know, I'm fine. And so step in and out of that of just trying out new ways of responding. Or if something happens, you can do it in reverse too of like, how else could I have responded to that, right? My dog mm. also caught a pigeon in Chicago and I screamed and freaked out. And I could have also celebrated like, congratulations, <laughs> your first pigeon, you know? like, And even though I didn't respond with the celebrating his catching a flying rat, basically, I just imagining that helps me like I laugh right I'm like oh my god that's like at first it was so frantic but now just thinking like I could have responded in all these different ways it's funny to me and I can find the funny in a situation that really freaked me out in, in the moment because sometimes we can't actually feel it in the moment especially as we're working on these skills we're like retraining ourselves to see things in new ways so for a while we may just have to see what happened and then later 
revisit how could have that been funny and then over time we'll find the funny in that moment after practicing Mm. over and over again I like that I like the idea of reflecting back on maybe even the most serious of circumstances to look for the funny there I feel like that would be really freeing in a lot of ways yes it's so liberating it's gotten me through a lot of what some people might consider like traumatic events to just be able to write out the, the funny version of that, right? Turn it into mm. a comedy sitcom. What if, if you had, if someone tasked you with, hey, that horrible thing that happened in your life, we want to use that to inspire an episode of a comedic sitcom. What would that look like, right? How do you make that funny? And it's very possible. I mean, many comedians will share funny stories about dark times. They kind of go hand in hand and it it is very freeing as the person writing mm. it. And it's very relatable as the person viewing it or listening to it, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Some of us pride ourselves on seriousness (laughs) because we want to be taken seriously, but it can also hold us back. So what would you say to someone who wants to be taken seriously? How can they embrace the joy of not taking themselves too seriously? Oh, I relate to this question so much because I find (laughs) myself being like, I want people to take me seriously. You know, I want people to take comedy seriously and I want people to take improv seriously as like a healing art, as a tool for transformation, all of this. So I'm with you, people that are in that camp. I feel that and I relate to it quite a bit. And I think where I settle on and what I would say to other people in this camp is take your work seriously, like take you know, your quality mm. of product, your profession, your pursuits seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Because Seinfeld's a great comic example of this where, you know, he put on a suit and he wrote every day. He'd always be writing every day. Like he took his craft seriously. He took his work seriously and he showed up every day writing. But he's not taking himself too seriously, right? He's writing humor about his life. So I think that's the thing, right? If you're a you're an engineer, you don't need to put like errors in your code to like end up, you know, like, oh, it's a joke because I didn't do the code right or whatever, like write good code and like do a good job and take pride in that work. But if you make a mistake or if like something doesn't go as you expect, have some lightness about it, mm-hmm. right? Like someone asked me recently, like, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made? And I said, the biggest mistake I've ever made is believing there's such thing as a mistake. Hmm. In improv, right, we have this philosophy of take everything as a gift. So if something happens that maybe we'd consider a mistake, find the lightness in it, find the humor in it, and don't take that so seriously. If you like mess up or don't do what you expected to do or something doesn't go as planned, but still show up and do the work, have integrity and like do the best you can. But when it doesn't go as planned, like, don't take it so seriously. So I think that's the balance that I try to strike and I think has been really freeing for me so that I can, you know, be ambitious and accomplished and like do things. But then when I like set out to do seven things in my day and I only do five, I'm not beating myself up. I'm laughing because, you know, I got stuck in a thunderstorm and I ended up an hour later to get back. So like those are the things that it's just like this constant balance of pursuing, but also letting go, like not being so worried or taking the outcome too seriously. I didn't need to be sold, but I can see through this conversation just how all of these improv skills translate perfectly onto life and onto our professional lives. 
everything you're saying. I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. Because it, you think about, you know, I've been to Second City here in Toronto many times. It's like a favorite night out. And I can imagine the cast being out there and perhaps a mistake happens that I'm not aware of. But what would happen, right, to that experience, to that show, right, if someone was just to stop? And so that idea of like, keep moving, right? Maggie Smith is a poet that I love. And she's got a book out called Keep Moving. And I just think of that, like, keep moving element to it, like the freedom in Yes. And anyway, like, <laughs> I'm going yes. to continue to move forward. I'm going to continue to take my work seriously, but not myself. I love, loved how you clarified that for us. Again, so it's separating ourselves, our beings from the outcomes of the work that we create. I'm about to release a new book. So I'm like right in there, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is my baby, but it's not actually me. I've contributed things, you know, my skills into the creation of that book, but it really is a release. Like I'm releasing this thing that I've created and it isn't a reflection on me personally. It's a reflection of what I was able to create in that particular moment in my life. And I'm going to continue to create more. So I just, I love that permission to create excellence, to work with excellence, but to be free to continue to grow and change over time. Yes. Oh, I love what you said there about just when you, as a creative person, when you kind of, it's not personal, right? And when we take that and expand it to just everything in life, nothing's personal, right? Usually how someone reacts is more a reflection of where they're at than you. But so often, and I know this for myself, I've had to work on this, like some people absorb other people's reactions and like take it personally. And that can be over time, like really hard because we start to internalize these beliefs about ourselves based on how other people treat us or respond to us or their tone or the way they carry themselves. And we've seen this, you know, in just society, right? Where people are like, oh, this person like offended me and this happened. And like, it's true. Like we're always hurting each other because we're all human. (laughs) We're all, we're all hurting. (laughs) We're all hurting, we're all in pain, you know? And, And so I think it in many ways can be a big weight off our shoulder to just say like, okay, I am not my work. I am kind of the vessel for the work and you know we do the best we can and we can change and that's the beauty of improv is like every scene is different you play a different character and we all have a tremendous character range and when improv we get to practice that and expand that because oftentimes we just live in this little section of our character range because certain things about us are reinforced right oh she's the shy one she's always you know, very serious, or, you know, she's always prioritizing work or whatever it is, if these things get reinforced, and then we stay there because we expect that other people expect us to be certain ways. And so we start to get trapped here. And I see this with teams, right? This is a lot of the the work we do with teams is that we do improv training so that people can start to see the full range of each other and see that, you know, Todd, the shy guy in engineering, isn't always shy and can be really loud and boisterous, Mm. right? Or Tammy, who's always talking, also has a reserved quiet side, right? We all live in these polarities, but we don't often show these at work or in our families until there's some psychological safety and trust or the environment that's conducive to that. You know, that's a big reason improv is so effective at bringing teams and people together because they feel safer and more trust and they can express themselves more broadly. A lot of people leave jobs because they don't feel like they're being their true authentic selves. But right. we can, you know, if, if it's fostered in the environment, it can be so freeing to be able to bring your full self wherever you go. And improv really 
helps people practice that either alone or with others to build that self and social awareness. It's amazing. I love the work you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really into it as well as you might be able to say. <laughs> This is the Jomo cast. I want to end on this note. How would you define Jomo or what does Jomo mean to you? So when I think of Jomo, I think of yes and, which is a fundamental principle of improv, right? Acknowledging the reality and building on it. But yes and isn't always a literal yes. You know, sometimes it means you're saying no to something else. You can say yes to something else. And I think of Jomo that way, where you're saying yes to something that's a priority or a value or something that matters. So there's a joy there, right? Like, oh, I'm choosing this thing that I really care about. That's truly about me. And so even though it may seem like, you know, you're missing out and that's kind of the no mm. piece of it. Of like, I'm saying no to going to the movie theater with a bunch of friends, but I'm saying yes to staying in and cooking a wonderful dinner because that's what I care about. And so there's a joy in choosing something that is authentic and aligned with my values and who I am. So that's what I think about when I think of Jomo of just, you're saying yes to something you care about. So the no is less, it's less important what the no is. It's the, the joy of choosing something else that's more aligned with oneself. I love that. Yes, <laughs> I'm choosing this. And because of that, why, right? It's like that's a furthering your journey in the direction you want to go. Yes. Thanks so much for being with me today, Mary. Thank you for having me, Christina. This has been a joy, a, a true joy. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free Jomo guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.